0: Hello, Connected Parents, and welcome to another episode of Connected Parenting. Today's episode will be part of the Q&A series. Parents have sent me some great questions, and I'm going to do my best at least once a month to answer some of the questions that come in. So enjoy. Hi, everyone. I'm Jennifer Coleri. I'm a child and family therapist and a parenting coach and the founder of Connected Parenting. And welcome to the Connected Parenting Weekly Podcast. Join me every week. And we'll tackle everything from temper tantrums, to bedtime, to sibling issues, to teenage angst. Parenting can be so wonderful, but it can be so hard. Parents often say to me, hey, can you just come live at my house? This is the next best thing. Let's do this together. So the first question today is from Jenny. Um, She says, I'm a new listener, so apologies if I haven't heard it yet. You talked about children controlling situations as an indicator of anxious feelings. I'd like to know how to support them to let go of that in young children and teens. So it's really interesting because with anxiety, you'll see it in two ways. And there's sort of the typical way that we think of anxiety, you know, the child hiding behind mom or dad, refusing to go places, wringing their fingers, just looking really frightened and, and afraid and sort of withdrawing. And that's only one way that anxiety shows up with kids. It can also show up in a really prickly, bossy, nasty, kind of that's my chair and I'm going first and you told me I could do this and sort of keeping track of everything. Um, So anxiety either goes inward into the self or it goes outward into trying to control everyone else. And it's not always recognized as anxiety when it goes outward. Now where people tend to look at that as behavior and a kid being, um, you know, rude or spoiled, or but honestly, it's usually anxiety. It just doesn't look that way. So I think a few things are really important, and I often answer a question really broadly, and then I bring it down to like very specific things you can do. So the first thing you want to do if your kid is really bossy and controlling, and you'll see them, you know, that's my chair and that's my cup. And I'm going down the stairs first, and you can't do that. I'm doing it this way, this sort of prickly, Um, organizing everybody and bossing everyone around is a way that they try to control the feelings that they have inside of feeling out of control. So they're feeling scared, they're feeling nervous, they feel like they don't have an impact or they don't have any control um, regarding their surroundings. So they actually try to control every possible little small thing that they can in an attempt to control that really difficult feeling of anxiety inside. What often happens is we give in, they wear us down, they make us tired, and it's just easier to go, fine, okay, all right, or we kind of snap back a little bit, which really just fuels their anxiety um, as well. It's not really a solution to the problem. So I think the biggest thing you want to do first is focus on baby play and connection or limbic bonding, as I call it. And I say this all the time, but the child that you least feel like doing this with is the child who needs it the most. So, you know, the kid that's just driving you crazy and making everything difficult and sucking the oxygen out of the room, that's the kid that really needs this. So make a special point of a few, no, I would say every day, maybe five to 10 minutes every day, just looking in their eyes, putting your hands on their cheeks, rubbing noses, talking about them when they were little, Um, telling them things that you noticed that that, that day that they did that was sweet or cute or funny. And each time you do this, you're sending little waves of love, little waves of oxytocin that kind of reverberate through the body. And it's like medicine. It just helps to sort of calm the child down a little bit. So really making a point um, of kind of lovely, gentle, moments where your child just feels really cherished. And that's hard to do when it's a child that really drives you crazy and derails everything. So you're going to have to dig deep to find this. But the truth is you will also get the bounce back from that. This will also soothe you and help you. So that's the big piece. And don't make those moments, do not say anything in those moments about how they behaved earlier or, you know, you were really upset earlier, but you're going to have this time with them. This has to be very, very pure. Second thing you want to start doing is really using the calm technique. So go back to the first um, couple of episodes in the podcast for a refresher, but you really want to be using that conversationally. So when they tell you something or something happened at school, no way, really tell me about that. Like lean in, really use your energy to look interested, to look invested in what they're telling you. Again, that oxytocin is going to flow and oxytocin is a really powerful hormone slash neurotransmitter that actually um, inhibits cortisol. And cortisol is the hormone that is making them stressed and anxious and prickly and bossy. So the more you're giving them this, the more settled and calm they're going to be from the inside out. So conversational mirroring, don't worry about doing it when they're agitated or being bossy or rude. Just try to slip it in when they're just telling you normal stuff. Do that for a couple of days. And then when you can, you want to be using the calm technique to de escalate. So when they're screaming that it's their chair or they're going first, take a minute, collect yourself and go, you know what? I'm not loving this, but I know how important it is for you. You have a very strong idea of what you want. And tell me why it's so important. Like, help me understand this. Like, actually use the technique to address them when they are being really bossy and see if that will calm them down. Now, if they continue to escalate, obviously you're going to have to set some limits. I love you, but you know what? It's not good for you to talk to me like this and I don't like it. And I like myself too much for you to talk to me like this. So if you continue to be bossy and rude, or if you continue to say whatever blah, 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 you're saying to me, there will be a consequence. And that can be a little sit. It can be, um, they lose a few minutes of screens Um, it doesn't have to be gone for the night or two weeks. That's way too dramatic. Sometimes it's just, nope. you're going to wait now 10 minutes for your iPad because you made some decisions a few minutes ago that weren't very nice. And I told you, if you continue to talk to me like that, that would be something that we would have to do. So you're kind of linking it back, uh, linking it back to that cause and effect. I think the other thing here that can be really helpful is adrenaline play. So when kids are anxious and think about it, when we're anxious, it's like there's electricity running through our body. We feel charged. We, and we don't know what to do with it. It's in our chest sometimes in our, in our stomach. And it's this kind of electrifying energy. That's just kind of sizzling through the body. So it's really helpful to have adrenaline play. And so that's, you know, you're chasing them around or, um, there's a, a spot on the carpet where they're safe, but if they come off that little spot, you can tickle them. You can play freeze. So you're playing music. And then when the music pauses, they have to freeze and you go up to them and you see if you can get them to move or giggle. Um, if you have time and it's after school, you can play any games that have a timer, games that have that pop or things release. Um, games that have hide and seek is also a great game. Um, That's a fantastic game that gets adrenaline releasing naturally so that you're going to have less of that prickly, icky, yucky behavior. And then the final thing I think that will really help is try using what I call an accomplishment book. And that's a little book where you just write down moments where they let somebody else have the chair or they shared something or you thought they were going to have a big Freak out about something and they use some strategies instead, or they just didn't, and collect those. Write them down and make them positive only. And then at bedtime, when you're putting them to sleep, uh, which is the time where they're the most anxious, honestly, um, you're going to read from the little book and just put two or three things because what often happens is they want you to read every night, they want you to read some of your previous entries. And that's just building a story, right? It's just building a story for them and for you that they're not always prickly. It feels like they are and they feel like they're always being difficult. But the truth is, I'm sure there's lots of moments in the day where they're not. And it's a great way to have you both kind of reset and look for those things. Okay, the next question is from Bria and it's her husband's question. What do you do for kids who don't listen? Um, when asked or told to do something, how can you help children not be so shy and more willing to try new things? Okay, so I'll do the first part of that. So broad answer first. So here's a reminder for everyone out there that we the frontal lobe, which is the part of the brain that organizes, moves through time, prioritizes, you know, decides, oh, I'm not going to say that now. I could say it later or, oh, maybe I've been talking too much, I need to stop, or, you know, what it's the part of the brain that kind of just takes perspective, learns from past mistakes, decides what you're doing next, flows through time, shifts attention, all those things. That part of the brain takes 25 to 30 years to develop. And children just don't have that executive function. They just don't have that capacity yet. And they won't really reliably until about, 18. You'll see it sort of starting to come online at 17. So one of the things that we have to remember is you're not really a parent. You are a substitute frontal lobe. So your job is to organize, inhibit, help them shift attention, help them organize and flow through time. Their job is to be in time. They're playing that game. They're building that Lego tower. They're on their iPad. Children live in time that the part of the brain that pulls them out of time and says, oh, you know what? I probably only have a few more minutes to do this because I have homework or the traffic's probably bad this morning and I should probably hurry like that. That's not even in their awareness that that is adult thinking and children are not many adults. So the hardest part of the answer to this question is there are a few children who will do things right away. And under certain circumstances, if children really want something or they're trying to earn something, they'll be more likely to do something right away. And even the most compliant children um, will not do things right away. So the expectation that we have because we've asked our children to do something that they're just going to do it is unrealistic. And when you have that gap between what you're expecting and what your child can actually do, you're going to experience exhaustion, frustration, and distress. So the first thing we have to do as parents is use our own frontal lobe and remind ourselves that we are substitute frontal lobes for them. They cannot do that. If you ask an adult to do something, you would expect them to do it. If you ask someone at work something right away, you would expect them to do it and not go in a minute. But with our kids, it is not realistic to expect that they're just gonna jump up and do it. So know that there's going to be a period of time where kids have to organize themselves into doing the task. They have to first pull themselves out of time. They gotta think, oh, I'm really having a good time, but I don't wanna get in trouble, eh, I should probably do it. And that's a, that's a lot of time that it takes them to work through that mental process and then do the thing that you've asked them to do. So the first thing is adjust those expectations. Second is to make sure that you have built time in to your request. So you say to your child, hey, in the next 10 minutes, I need you to do this. Or if you have a teenager, you know, sometime between now and nine o'clock, I need you to do this. And then you do a little reminder, Hey, it's 15 minutes. You said you were going to do it by nine. Remember that you need to do it. Or there is a consequence, right? Some natural, meaningful, predictable consequence that makes sense. Not something too big, but something that just actually makes sense. So the gap is important uh, and allowing that time for them to work it through. And then it's really important to give them that framework. So don't expect them to get up and do it. What you can also do is make sure they hear you because often kids don't hear you. They've tuned out your voice or their brain um, because children's brains um, can't switch between activities as well as an adult brain can. They literally might not hear you, you are background noise. And so you have to make sure that you actually have their attention when you're asking them for the request, and then you say to them, I and always mirror. I totally get it. You're playing this video game. Why would you want to go and take the garbage out, or why would you want to walk the dog or whatever you're asking them to do or do your homework? Totally get it. Do a little bit of mirroring first and then say, But I believe in you. I know you can do this. I know you've got this. And I'm gonna come back and give you a little reminder. So you're giving them a gap of time to work that through, and that should really help. Sometimes having positive incentives can, can work. I'm not big on, you know, behavior modification, but sometimes if you're trying to establish a new habit or create new healthy patterns, it only lasts about a week or two, but you could do a little chart or something. And then every time they, they answer with, or they do what they're supposed to do within, I don't know, five minutes or something, they can get something. I remember when Olivia was a little girl, we, I used to buy a colored elastics and every time she said okay or did something, you know, within a reasonable framework, she'd get a. She would get to wear one of the little elastics around her wrist. And at the end of the day, we'd see how many elastics she had on her wrist. And actually, we didn't even do anything. She didn't even get anything for that. She just liked collecting the elastics on her wrist. But you could do that, you know. If you, have, you know X number of elastics, you can earn something. But that's usually just kind of supportive. It doesn't really permanently change behavior. It can just kind of give a little bit of incentive and just give you a little bit of traction sometimes when you're trying to change behaviors. So hopefully that helps. Okay. Second half of this question was, um, oh, how can you help children not be so shy and help them be willing to try new things? So, I mean, this is a a complex question and and I would suggest listening to a couple of the podcasts that I've done on anxiety. I think from warriors to warriors is a good one to listen to. Um, But so what happens with anxious kids? So first of all, you have to remember that sometimes it's just a natural stage that certainly with younger children, they tend to be a bit more shy. Sometimes little tiny kids aren't shy at all, but then when they get a little bit older and they're a little more aware of strangers and danger, (laughs) things going wrong, um, they have that kind of expanded awareness in the world. They'll go through a phase where they're quite shy And it doesn't mean they're going to stay that way forever. Um, And it's a funny kind of dance because you don't want to give them full permission to never push themselves, to not look at people, to not say hello, Um, you know, because you want that to be something that they can work through. And the more the brain actually avoids something, the bigger that thing actually gets but on the other hand, you don't want to be pushing them all the time. Go kiss, you know, auntie so-and-so that they haven't seen in two years. And it's terrifying. So you can, there's not really an easy answer for this. You know, one of the questions that we ask ourselves all the time as parents is when do I push and when do I protect? And that there's not an absolute line on that. You kind of have to use your gut. So my suggestion is helping your kids with scripting. So often they're nervous and they're shy, but they also don't know what to say. And when you're nervous, your frontal lobe shuts off. So the part of your brain that actually thinks, oh yeah, what did mommy tell me to say? Isn't online. They're just now feeling scared. So having time where you actually practice meeting a new person, saying hi to somebody's parent, or, you know, it's a family event and you're going to be meeting family members that you haven't seen in a long time, practice three or four things that your child can say and role play it. Um, and you can be the really shy person where you've you know, put your head down and you grumble or you hide behind while they're being the person that's saying, hi, how are you? Nice to see you. So they can actually feel both sides of that scenario and they can sort of tune in and connect to what other people might be feeling when they're really shy and what that actually looks like. And then have them be themselves where they're actually practicing, hello, how are you? Give them three or four things that they can practice that helps a lot. Um, I think it's something you know you can also address, you know into it, the earlier part of the podcast where I talked about ways that you can soothe anxiety. So using the um calm technique conversationally, extra baby play if if you know they're going through this stage where they're super shy um and role playing should really, really help. And often it's a stage, often it's something they just kind of kind of work through. And if it's really serious, if you you know if they're really scared to talk to adults, if they're not really speaking to adults at all, and you're really worried that it's getting in the way of their ability to interact in the world and actually enjoy things, then it might be a good idea to talk to your pediatrician or maybe look at um, having your child work with someone that gets a little bit of coaching around this um, or, and develop some strategies that can help them because it really is an important thing to be able to interface in the world. So thank you so much. Thank you for your questions. Um, For deeper dive into Connected Parenting, please go to our website, connectedparenting.com. My books are on there. Our online courses are on there that it's a really supportive online community. We also have a team of therapists at Connected Parenting that help parents from all over the world. Um, We've got a lot of things available for you as you move through your Connected Parenting journey. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you next time on the next episode of Connected Parenting.